DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. NFL Draft coming up Thursday. PK, I'm looking at some of the mock drafts. Jordan Love is all over the board. It is impossible for me to predict where he's going to go. I think that'll be that and the whole, uh, you know, is Tua and uh, Herbert, how are those guys going to go at five and six? Is somebody going to trade up to take one of them at three? Those seem like the two big dramas at the top of the draft. Quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. Yeah, it's a quarterback-driven draft when you have this many, and that's apparently the case. I've also heard that Washington now is considering offers for number two, which we thought the kid from Ohio State Young on the D-line was going to go. And if Washington trades out, then right after the first pick, you have some form of chaos. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch Thursday. I'm looking forward to it. Thursday night, round one, and then they'll have the second and third rounds on uh, Friday and then the rest of the draft, four through seven, on Saturday. And I assume we will be talking about it nonstop because it's a little lean out there in the world of sports right now. NFL had their their mock draft and had some issues, but they seem to have gotten most of them worked out. John Elway did some interviews and said it's going to be fine, so we won't have any uh, technology tripping them up. Everybody knows how... Zoom works and how to mute themselves, and they won't go through the delays. The Bengals win. It took them two and a half minutes to make the first pick when we all know what the first pick has been for weeks and months. Time to bring in Evan Brennan right now, NFL Players Association certified agent for United Athlete Sports, representing five local players from three of the uh, local colleges here. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. We make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Evan, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back on. And I'm curious, before we get to any of the individual guys, how much were all the agents scrambling with uh, the coronavirus upending everything and all the usual routines having to go out the window? Uh, It was a wild deal. But uh, if you are prepared, you shall not fear. It's really that simple. Um, But it was a wild, wild, wild few weeks for sure, making sure everyone knew about your guys and uh, making sure that the NFL teams had the latest and greatest uh, information on I'm wondering how important film work became because you couldn't meet with the guys individually. There were no pro days, all that stuff. But you got all sorts of film, and you got a lot of time. So did the film work and the study thereof take on a higher level of importance? It did. You know, um, a lot of agents, including myself, uh, t- uh, attempted to do these, uh, you know, proxy pro days. Um, and NFL teams, you know, they, they appreciate it. They, they really did, and they looked at it. Um, but at the end of the day, it just meant that, uh, a player's collegiate film, what he did at an all-star game, what he did at the NFL Combine took a amplified um, importance to them. And so um, I think a lot of teams spent a lot of time watching tape, uh, knowing that there weren't going to be pro days, weren't going to be private visits, uh, weren't going to be private workouts. If someone allowed me to be GM, I'd, I'd probably wreck their franchise. But as I was wrecking their <laughs> franchise, I think the things I would really value is all the film work, but then the chance to have all the conversations for people to tell me what somebody's like, and then to actually sit down and interview somebody. Because all that, I think all that matters a lot. But when you can't sit down and interview somebody and get to know them, and you're doing conversations over Zoom, I wonder how many of the players struggled with that or how many of the executives, in your opinion, struggled with that? And how much does that change things? Because it isn't 
it isn't what is considered normal. It isn't what we're used to, but it's really the best you could do uh, in the last few weeks. I agree. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And again, that's why I think that, you know, where they could do sit down interviews um, at the combine, their all-star games, those players have a tremendous advantage. Players that were, you know, relying on their pro day and, you know, could really appear on the radar after that and, and then get those later interviews and visits in uh, late March, early April, they're at a disadvantage because teams just, you know, through no fault of their own, may not feel as comfortable with them because they haven't had a chance to have those in-person, uh, close-knit uh, interviews. They have done Zoom, FaceTime, phone calls. I mean, I've got some players that have double-digit ones of those, uh, but they can't replace uh, what uh, could have occurred in person. So for those guys that are on the bubble who don't get drafted, you know, we know there's a free agent frenzy right after the last round. And because football is a numbers game, those players have pretty good opportunities, some of them, to make teams because they make them every year, and it's not that big of a deal. I'm just wondering, this year, without that usual circumstances that they have, what does it mean for those guys? Well, it's interesting. There's a lot of uh, cause and effect there. There's also not going to be rookie minicamp. There's also, you know, not going to be tryouts. And there's not really going to be much until training camp, whenever that's going to be. And so a lot of your rookie players are at a very large disadvantage in learning schemes. And so NFL teams are predicting fewer and fewer rookie players actually making their rosters. And so what they're doing, a lot of teams take the Lions, um, for example, they've come out and even said this is, um, normally we would cut right before the draft several players to make room for our rookie class. We're not going to do that. We're going to sign a much smaller rookie class um, after the draft and rely on players um, to be camp bodies, for lack of a better term, that have already gone through this for a year or two. And um, but we're just going to shy away from that because we don't believe that some of these rookies can really learn uh, without a tr- proper mini camp and OTAs uh, how to be a pro. So it, it, there's a lot of cause and effect. But on the flip side, yeah, you're going to have some players that are probably pretty darn good slip to the cracks and, and go undrafted this year and be able to pick where they want to go. And that's going to be huge is can I pick a scheme that I can learn? Can I pick a coaching staff that's actually going to teach me, that's going to be able to deal uh, with this strange new environment? Those are all considerations for some pretty good players that probably will slip to the cracks. So there are five teams that hired new coaches this year, I think, unless I'm missing somebody. Would you want your players going there in this situation or not, if everything else is equal, and I I get that everything else is rarely equal, but if everything else is equal, do those present better opportunities or the fact there's going to be so little learning time are those really opportunities that are just kind of the last resort? In a lot of cases, I would because they've got they've got an opportunity, particularly to unseat a veteran, because the veteran's going to you know be at a disadvantage too um, with learning that scheme, and the coaching staff is not going to be as emotionally otherwise tied down to quote unquote incumbents, and so it presents opportunity that would otherwise not exist. Will it be a challenge in learning a new scheme? Yes, and that's a little bit of a gamble, but um, you know, a lot of these teams too that kept coach head coaches may have changed a coordinator or a position coach, and so there may be some learning there. So I think wherever you go, it's going to be a strange place. But I particularly like you know staffs with new coaching staffs because of uh, you know the opportunity to unseat a veteran is amplified than at a place where everyone's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what will happen to a kid like Josh Nurse because you look at him, right? He's long, he's lean, he can move, 
and he played at the U of U. And he didn't play defensive back the entire time, but the U of U has had a great history of putting a lot of defensive backs into the NFL. How much do you think that because they don't have opportunities with pro days and whatnot and all this stuff, that might actually help him because we know, man, if he's going to play defensive back and get on the field against at the University of Utah, he's probably got to be pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The reputation of the University of Utah uh, precedes itself with defensive back development. Uh, Josh is a very long range defensive back, great speed uh, for his size, uh, can play press man, which is something that, you know, certain NFL schemes in particular really, really value. Uh, teams like, you know, Cleveland, uh, teams like Baltimore, teams like Jacksonville really want these big press man corners. And so the schemes like that that play less quarters, less cover three, Josh is going to be you know highly coveted. And there have been a lot of calls on Josh, no doubt. Evan Brennan join us. He is a certified agent for United Athlete Sports, represents several local uh, players. Uh, we know you've got the tie to Josh Nurse. Are you representing other youths right now or no? No, uh, that's that's my that's my youth of the year. We're keeping it nice and small. Okay, uh, for the Cougars, you represent several Cougars. You know BYU fans. Uh, it's it's pretty intense. They're going to have to listen to a bunch of Ute fans in the neighborhood brag about how many how many Utes get drafted six, seven, eight, nine, whatever the number ends up being. Uh, the Cougars, where might they stick? What do they offer? How could they get into the league even if they're not drafted? Oh, Diane first, Diane Lake, and Wallaku. Uh, very versatile, speedy defensive back, special teams ace. Um, I mean, he's talked to just about every play, or team in the league, FaceTimes with defensive back coach across the league. I mean, even the Patriots uh, did a FaceTime with him yesterday. Um, easily could stick in as kind of a special teams guy that teams want to run down on punt and kick and make tackles and plays. He's a guy that can back up, you know, starting nickel or could be the starting nickel and could uh, back up, you know, safeties and other corners across the roster. So a very, very, very tough PFA. A lot of HIFO, similar, but on the offensive side of the ball, has the ability to punt return, speedy, great agility, uh, can play in the slot. And uh, it's hard to find true punt returners right now. This is an extremely deep wide receiver class. You can go 60, 70 deep. Um, probably one of the deepest in the last 10 years. And so Lowe's got to fight numbers more than anything, uh, but he's had several calls and expect to see him um, definitely get a lot of love um, uh, on Saturday. Have you heard anything about Jordan Love? I know he's not your client, but I'm just wondering if what you've heard. He's a very polarizing uh, prospect for sure. Uh, there's some teams that, you know, really love the tools they see there. Um, you know, he's got some good athleticism and mobile ability. Needs to work a little bit on his decision making. You know, uh, I've had teams say, "Hey, this is a guy I don't understand why he's getting first round love. He's more of a fifth round pick for us as a high developmental guy." And there are other teams that are just very, very high on the, the tools, and they kind of see um, a guy that can, uh, you know, be groomed in a year or two and, and, and be a, a starter uh, for sure. Very similar to the, uh, the Buffalo Bills quarterback out of Wyoming two years ago. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, he has attractors, and he has some, some very high supporters. Um, there, he, he does have some raw tools that are hard to find, but it'll be interesting to see how much he's overcome some of his um, more decision-making uh, deficiencies. I think, I think he does go in the first round. I think there is a team that, uh, you know, he only won, obviously, that uh, says, the heck with it, we're going to take him, and they do. 
So I've seen some debates when you use the word polarizing. I thought you hit it spot on there. There are people who are like, and they'll show, you know, they'll show film of them, whatever NFL draft analyst is, and some of the outright, some of the outright, some of the out routes, some of the throws he makes. Like you, you either can do that or you can't, and most people just don't have the arm to do it. And as far as the interceptions, there are people who say, well, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, nine new starters around him. Of course, there were going to be problems in the offense. He wasn't going to repeat that year. But I've, I've seen people just crush him for like, well, you just can't stare down a guy on the far sideline, throw the ball over there, and think you're not going to throw a pick six. And you have got to see linebackers underneath coverage. It doesn't matter who the coach is. So are those some of the specifics when you say he's polarizing, that those are the arguments that, that people are making? Yeah, and a lot of times uh, you're going to have a new OC quite often in the, in the NFL, and so that that can't be an excuse. Um, you've got to be intelligent enough to pick up the scheme lightning quick. For players that aren't drafted as high as that, that could be the reason you're cut. You just can't pick up the scheme that quick. And so the concern is this guy's going to be slow to pick up an NFL offensive scheme. I think that hurts his stock uh, considerably. But you're right. I mean, some of the throws that he's able to make at the size he is and the, the mobility that he has for a guy that size – those are things that NFL teams believe they can groom, they can augment, and they can really, really work with. Other quarterbacks that may be a little further ahead in the decision-making ability simply do not have. And so that's what's causing a lot of that debate. I mean, the BOU tape's not kind to him. A lot of linebackers he doesn't see in crossing routes and out routes. Um, but there's some other games where he just makes some of these throws, and you're like, oh, my goodness, how's that even possible? And then, like I said, the athleticism, size, uh, there's a lot of prototypical stuff there that uh, you typically only find in the first round. From your experience, as teams are looking at kids, do the negatives get amplified more than they should be relative to the positives? What do they focus on? Yeah, and it really depends. Team by team, player by player, position by position. When you get a cornerback that runs in the four sixes, it's going to be really hard to find interest for him. Teams just need speed. You get a guy on the offensive line that has really short arms, built toward the middle finger, it's going to be pretty hard. He's going to get labeled as a center only, and that really drops his stock. Um, you get a kid that's been injured a lot, that's really going to hurt him. Uh, a guy that's dinged up a lot is going to um, get canceled out by the trainer. You get a guy that's had a lot of character problems, eh, maybe some teams can live with that depending on who the team is and what, what it is. But this year, they'll be particularly hurt because they don't have a lot of those in-person interviews where they can really assuage some of those concerns. And so I think it's it's player by player. What's the upside talent-wise versus the low side with the deficiency? Um, it's position by position. You know, what do our metrics say? What are our parameters for the position? How far is it from that? And then um, really team by team by team. Some teams stick very, very heavily to do parameters and metrics, kind of a money ball situation. And some are more willing to kind of look outside of that, really trust the tape um, and trust their scouts. So it's a little bit of everything, to be honest. How much is everything that's happened the last few weeks going to change business in the NFL permanently and kind of set a new normal? And how much is everything going to go back to normal as soon as that is possible? You know, I think the number one thing is is teams will communicate differently. You know, um, this will allow some general managers that may have been behind the times to kind of update their communication skills, some of their databases, and and some of the things that are more, you know, 21st century, for lack of a better term. Uh, So I do think that will change. Um, I do think that it'll it'll, um, make teams 
really look at film much more heavily um, outside of just metrics, 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 because, um, you know, they've had to this year uh, where, you know, two-thirds of pro days didn't happen. Um, they were really forced to look at film. So I think those two things in particular will make things differently. I think that it'll allow teams to see how connected the world is via online and doing different seminars and you know, things like that can be very accomplished online. I mean, right now the player, the veteran players are going through, you know, veteran mini camps um, and veteran OTAs via, you know, Zoom and recorded video. Um, I'm not saying that that is going to be the case moving forward. Teams aren't happy about that, and it's not ideal. But the idea that it can be done um, is uh, going to allow for other things to occur uh, communication-wise. We've heard the college season is going to happen one way or another, even if they have to push it back X amount of days and months, whatever it might be. Feel that's the same thing as far as the NFL? Very bullish on the NFL um, because the TV deal is the major, major driver, even more so pro football than college football. I feel very bullish on that. Um, even if it's pushed back just a week or two, it's going to happen. I mean, um, even if it's, it occurs with limited fans or no fans in the, in the seats, it's going to happen. There's just way too much money at, at stake without some of the politics that exist in college football college football without some of the university stuff that exists in college football the NFL will, will take place this fall it's just a matter of when do you think any of the teams will have to move around I mean we've heard the governor of California say he can't see games with sta- fans in the stands now maybe they play in empty stadiums everybody can make an easy charger joke here if they want um, but do you think the NFL could just play in front of no one or temporarily move to other states because they just have to provide the TV content no matter what yeah, I mean, that's kind of a worst-case scenario. Like I said, I think the season happens no matter what. But, yeah, I mean, there's probably two or three kind of worst-case scenarios. That's one where, you know, they have to uh, play the games in Vegas or Arizona uh, for the California teams. I mean, I, you know, I've seen articles float around that if the Raiders stadium's not done, they'll play the game here in Salt Lake. So, I mean, yeah, that's definitely on the table. But I think that's very far down the road. Um of, of a possibility could happen certainly I mean New York's another place where you look at uh, where the, the Giants and Jets play um, in right there in New Jersey and that, that's obviously uh, on the table as well uh, last thing before we let you go Jonah Williams Weber State uh, what are NFL teams saying about him very strong chance of being drafted very very strong chance of being drafted um, obviously uh, you know all-American defensive lineman, super long and enormous. I had a director of college scouting call me yesterday that saw him at the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl and saw him walk by. I went, yep, that's an NFL player. Where's he going? Um, ran a laser time, 4.67 at 281 pounds, uh, at 6'5", uh, sub-7, three-cone, just absolutely shattered everything, plus the size and toughness is, is incredible. Um yeah, he's got a very strong 80-plus percent chance of being drafted um, on Saturday. Evan, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the air with us. No problem. Thanks so much. Evan Brennan, NFLPA certified agent for United Athletes Sports, representing three Cougars, a Ute, and a Wildcat. At PK, it's always amazing how someone who just like an an NFL scout just looks and goes, yeah, that's an NFL player. It's like, why end up at Weber State? 
Is like the recruiting process, do they miss that badly? We always hear the linemen are a little easier to evaluate than the skill guys because skill guys can be late bloomers, but, man, you either got the frame to be a lineman or you don't, and there's just some requirements, you know. You just you don't have 220-pound linemen, right? You're not 5'9 playing in the O-line in major college football. You're just not doing it. So how does this happen? Recruiting, it's not a science. It's an art form. Uh, particularly for football, because I think football, the star system, is way more inaccurate than basketball. I think basketball ends up being far more uh, reflective of what your star level is as far as your talent level when you get to the college. A transition, in my mind, is easier, but there's so many intangibles in football, and we see it every year. Every position. I mean, it's really nothing new. It's why these programs are receiving attention when it comes to NFL drafting because there are a bunch of guys out there that are not all that when it comes to drafting. Uh, When it comes to being at the college level, you'd think player Carson Wentz, well, man, he should have been playing whatever. You know, I don't know the Carson Wentz story. We know the Josh Allen story that Evan talked about as far as um, you know, coming out of the Fresno area and Wyoming was the uh, pretty much the only program, and he goes there, and then he ends up blowing up. And so far, anyway, I think he had a good season for Buffalo last year, so it looks like he's going to be okay. And then you got somebody, well, whoever it might be, Matt Barkley at SC, uh, Leinard at SC, you know, the premier school, and these guys don't really make it. Uh, Leinard's out. I think Barkley's still bouncing around a little bit. So you don't know. And you're right. It's not even close to a science. It's, I mean, it, you want to get as many five-star kids as you can, but there's always kids who don't have any stars, whatever, or don't have enough stars relative to their ability. We're going to have Trevor Riley on here at the top of the hour. He'll tell you he was a two-star kid. Well, he didn't play like a two-star kid at the U of U. He played like a five-star kid, and he played a number of years in the NFL. So it's opportunities that are abounding there. If you get an opportunity, seize it, and you never really know how it's going to play out because it's not that science, as you say. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Trevor will be here at 9 o'clock on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Major League Baseball reportedly looking at a new three-state format for the 2020 season. The league would have teams stationed in one of three hubs, Florida, Arizona, or Texas. The clubs would then make use of the local major and minor league or spring training facilities to train and play games. Commissioner Rob Manfred has made a move that allows teams to lay off or cut the pay of major and minor league managers, coaches, trainers, and full-time scouts starting May 1st. Representatives from every team went through a dry run in the NFL draft Monday morning with two and around practice session. There were some early technical issues, which included a two and a half minute delay for the Bengals to make the first pick. But Broncos president of football operations and GM John Elway said things eventually evened out. Another issue was too many people on the call not using the mute function. But they got that ironed out. Top of the wire, brought to you by Zero Res. Right now, there's nothing more important than clean, and that's why Zero Res is reducing their rates to help as many people as they can. Schedule with Zero Res right now for just $25 per room. Minimums do apply. Call Zero Res at 801-288-9376 or check them out online at zerorezsaltlake.com. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Tony Pauline, NFL draft analyst. I've been around Jordan for the last three years. Know him well. Where do you anticipate he lands, and uh, is he a first-round pick? I do believe he's a first-round pick. I think he's a mid-first-round pick. The Miami Dolphins have been scouting Jordan Love hard for the past three years. They like Jordan Love a lot. been a big fan of uh, Jordan Love. I think you've got to really go back and watch the film on him in 2017, 2018 to get a complete uh, analysis of, of his game, I think in the right system, he'll do well at the next level. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. PK, we just talked with Evan Brennan, and it's not a game. The NFL draft is obviously not a game, but we don't have games. So it's the best thing we've got going. I guess we could debate the NFL draft or the MJ documentary, and it just probably just depends which sports you're more into. But it's going to be the only thing going Thursday night. It's going to be the only thing going Friday night. So people are going to be way into these early rounds. I think if I were a coach, I'd be way into the late rounds too. If I, I assume that the Utes coaches, their next uh, communication, and I don't know where they are, the rules are changing, the dates are changing nonstop, but you know, the next time you can text or Zoom or you know, whatever the rules are, they're all going to be referencing how many players got drafted. Because all these 17-year-old recruits watch the NFL, dream of playing in the NFL. We had that awesome story about the Alabama uh, Media Guide, when you open it up, the inside has canceled checks from all these ex-Alabama players because they call it a media guide, but let's face it, they are producing that thing to send it out to 16- and 17-year-old kids and try to get the next big recruit and make sure they don't go to LSU or Notre Dame or wherever. So they they all want to go to the NFL. How many guys are you going to get drafted? Because the bigger the number, the better it's going to sound when you let the recruits know, hey, we had six guys drafted, we had eight guys drafted, we had nine guys drafted, whatever it is. I think that the reality is what you're saying is absolutely true. And I think these programs, they need to emphasize that. You know, obviously, if you're in the big sky, that's not going to be your primary emphasis. But I think that if you want to play big-time football, you have to put that out there and you have to say, yes, our guys can get you. When I say our guys, I'm talking of your coaching staff. Our guys can get you to the NFL and the more you recognize that and make that a part of your program and accept it and roll with it, it's the Calipari thing in basketball. He talks about how it's about getting guys to the NBA. right? I mean, that's why he's getting these guys. It's not like he's some phenomenal X and O dude. I mean, he's got the phenomenal tradition at Kentucky. I've been back there. You know, it's incredible. And so he's telling you, you come here, I'm going to get you to the NBA. Even if you're not as good as you think you are or you really are, people are going to think you're good because I'm recruiting you and offering you a scholarship at Kentucky. So they come around here, and I let pro guys come in and watch and all this. You know, Bronco took some heat for kind of scorning the NFL. You shouldn't do that. You should Put the NFL out there as much as possible. And obviously, Utah can run that stuff up the flagpole big time, man. I mean, they're going to have an incredible amount of kids who are going to get drafted and then 
even maybe a couple of guys who don't get drafted are going to sign free agent contracts, obviously, we'll see how that plays out. And that's got to be a huge, huge advantage. That's the whole Herm Edwards thing. That's the whole premise of that. Of his staff. That we are, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we'll see how it pays off. It, to me, when I look at what they tried to do, it's worth a shot because they were you know, they're an okay program, occasionally have a good season, but never really uh, capitalizing on it to be consistent with 9, 10, 11 wins per season. You know, they can get one out of every five or six, but then they drop back to, you know, you get in November and your second week in November, are you going to be bowl eligible? So trying something different, breaking away from what you've been doing basically for 30 years maybe it doesn't work but it was worth a shot and i'm wondering for byu because utah's got it going on we don't have to wonder about them you want to play in the nfl you know jalen johnson comes there for one specific reason to get himself ready for the nfl in three years and boom he lives it out it's going to be played out here in about uh two days and where he's going to go on and do what he exactly what the u of u provided him exactly what he was looking for and that's a classic high level example but i'm wondering for byu we know financially it's better to be an independent, but I'm wondering as far as getting NFL guys, more of them on your roster, more draftable guys, would it be better to be in a conference or better to be independent, irrespective of the financial aspect of it? Well, that's a tough one. Irrespective of the financial aspect, because so much of it is the financial aspect of it. I mean, the, the whole realignment was driven by the financial aspect of it. I think if you set aside the financial aspect of it, uh, I want to be in a conference. But I don't know how you set aside the financial aspect of it, because, you know, money talks. We always talk about that. These, you know, this is a high-risk, high-reward business. So you have to pay people, because outside of the possibly the head coach— Everybody else can be fired in any given year. Assistant coaches, offense coordinators change all the time. Evan Brennan was just talking about it in relation to Jordan Love at Utah State. Yes, he was hurt because they had all the coaching staff changes, but NFL teams don't really want to hear that because you're going to have a new offensive coordinator and you got to pick it up really quickly. So you got to have a new offensive coordinator because guys get fired and guys move around. So... If you don't have the money and you can't pay him, it's like, well, I don't want a low-reward, high-risk job. I mean, who wants that? Hey, I might get fired, but the good news is I won't make any money along the way. You know, you want to think, hey, I make a ton of money if I get fired and have to sit out a year. Well, so what? I, you know, I'm careful with my money, and I'm, I'm making this huge NFL money or this huge college football money, and that's, you know, not the end of the world. So, okay. irrespective of the money, points. I'd rather be in a conference. I think all the other things slide the way of, you know, the, the conference. I don't think they've gotten that much of a boost from playing all over the country. I don't think they've gotten that much of a boost from playing this really tough schedule. But the money's a boost. <laughs> yeah, but you're talking about, okay, you can get that money by, by playing independent, and you're talking about coaches and job security. You go four and nine, seven and six, seven and six. How much job security do you have? And so if you went into a conference and maybe you took a little less money in the short term, but you've already. 
I'm t- speaking of you now, you've already decided that to get more NFL guys, it's better to be in a conference. So maybe over the long term, you'll have more NFL guys. So your roster will be better. So your record will be better. Therefore, you have the opportunity maybe to make up that money that you lost because you're a better team and you can draw more when you go to negotiate uh, your individual contracts and whatnot and you can get more of a payout uh, from these other programs that you're paying or playing and I'm just throwing stuff up against the wall here so I think that maybe you have to look at all those types of things because it's clear right now BYU's not getting enough NFL guys I mean, it's just that's the reality of it. They're they're probably going to have no guys drafted, and you know what do they have? One guy, two guys. Meanwhile, your rival up the road is having seven, eight guys. Yeah, it seems it, like it's almost every year. Yeah, but I don't know that that is. Uh, if we're going to go irrespective of the money, that might be irrespective of the conference. One, they're in a power five, and you're not. And there's just this level of prestige that comes with that. And it's hard to recreate. And they're trying to recreate it with the schedule. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I know, I think it's clear that they haven't been able to. And I think the biggest problem there is that the season starts with a high level of excitement because that's where the schedule really pays off in September and has everybody amped up. But it just can't help but taper off. There just aren't that many big games available at the end of the year. Now, maybe playing USC and Stanford at the end of the year will help change that some. But I still think it has the feeling... You know, in conferences, it's building up because they're deciding who's going to go to the conference title game and who's going to win the conference. And as an independent, you just you don't have that. I've often thought, is there a way that BYU and Notre Dame could play on the conference uh, championship weekend? They need more TV product that weekend. It seems like somebody would take that game. The problem is Notre Dame's got this ACC scheduling agreement, and they just don't have that many more games on the schedule. Uh, it seems like a great date to work, but unless they unless they make it a 13th game and play it outside of the country and go to Hawaii or Ireland or Canada, you know that doesn't work either. But I think the BYU tapering that the, the way that the season just feels like it tapers off, you know that that's kind of a problem. And I, I don't have a good answer how to overcome that other than to be in a conference because the conference just lends itself to peaking at the end of the year. Can you win the conference championship? Well, I don't think Notre Dame needs any more exposure, so if they're not right. playing on that conference weekend, it doesn't matter because they're Notre Dame. Now, your point is well taken for BYU and every other independent and pretty much every other program, uh, except for a few, whether they're in a conference or not, exposure matters. But Notre Dame gets as much exposure as it could possibly handle. I do think that if you want to solve that tapering off, then win more games. Win more games in the beginning of the season. Don't blow these games against these lousy teams. And then you'll have that interest because people will be following winners. And in order to get a winner, you need to get more talent. That's what it boils down to, man. Great coaches, bad coaches, mediocre coaches. Well, they're all better if they have more talent. There's very few coaches at this level who are going to screw up good talent. It happens. I think we saw it at BYU when Bronco Mendenhall took over. There wasn't a big change in talent, but you know, within two years, they're winning 11 games. So from uh, 04 to 06, I think, 
they they turned it around pretty quick. That was a phenomenal job by Bronco. He went six uh, six wins his first season, and if I remember correctly, he got eleven wins the second season. It wasn't like there was a major increase in talent. It's just that. The talent was utilized, and people were all together with the same goal rather than being pulled in 50 different directions. So there is examples out there, but you've got to get the talent. That's what the Cougars have to figure out. What are the ways, the best ways we can get more talent? And you, it's interesting that you quickly went to getting in a conference you think that could help them get more talent. Yeah, I think it generates excitement around the program and all that. But I also think that, you know, in BYU's case, you know, and there's a bunch of things about BYU that are unique, and it was what we were talking about an hour ago, you know, that the potential NFL talent, and they used to have NFL talent. They used to have a lot of NFL talent. You can go back. It's in their media guide. You can find it online if you want. You know, the list of Cougars drafted. So why aren't they getting those guys? And it seems like, well, the guys who... Uh, they used to get a higher caliber of player who was not LDS. And maybe it was, you know, you still got the era where they're still on the cutting edge throwing the ball before everybody did that. That helped. That's gone away. Maybe academics have hurt. That's gone away. His honor code hurt a little bit. And then you got the guys who, you know, they own the Wasatch Front. They certainly own Utah County, but for a long stretch, they own the Wasatch Front. And now you got the Utes getting those guys, and you've got Washington comes in and gets somebody. USC or UCLA comes in and gets somebody. Stanford comes in and get somebody, and none of them are taking that many players. Stanford's probably taking more than the rest. But when you take an impact guy, that those NFL guys, not only do you want the NFL guys because they're just more players, but they make the game easier for somebody else. You know, when you don't get Puka Nakua and he goes to Washington, so that's the receiver who gets double covered and guarantees that everybody else is getting single covered. Right, And so does someone like that open it up for a tight end to run wild because he's only got to beat a one-on-one matchup? When the, when the Cougars were awesome in 96 with a Cotton Bowl team, well, they had two NFL tight ends, and you couldn't double both of them. So they were going to run wild, and that was going to make life easier for the wide receiver, and that was going to make life easier for the running back. There was going to be one less guy uh, in the box to defend against the run. So it's not only do you lose the plays the NFL guy makes as you lose these NFL guys, but they make the game easier for everybody else. And if you have an NFL guy on defense, when you have Kyle Van Noy and he's blocking punts and forcing fumbles and intercepting passes all in the same game, in that bowl game, well, of course San Diego State's trying to double-team him and stop him. Everybody else is going out on the field knowing, I just got to beat my guy and I'm going to make a play. It makes life so much easier. So not getting these guys you talk about, it's a double whammy. It makes everything more complex. And then you got coaches trying to scheme things to give guys an advantage instead of just winding up the NFL guy and letting him <laughs> just create havoc and chaos like Kyle Van Noy did. Does Kyle Van Noy come to BYU today as an independent? Man, it's an easy answer to say no. I guess we'd have to talk to Kyle about, you know, the personal relationships because those matter. You know, would someone else have gotten on him? Uh, And, you know, I I think the easy answer to say is no um, because they're not – they don't have another Kyle Van Oy on the roster. Do they have another wildly disruptive – you know, Warner, we should put Warner in that category – you know, he was he was a very disruptive player. He was a high-end player. Yeah. He's gone on to prove yeah. it in the NFL. Um, you know, so so how how many guys do they have like that? 
at any given time, you know. And I just looked up. I just looked up as I said that, and Yach looked it sideways out of his eye. As a guy who grew up, I assume a Cougar fan well, in Utah County, you kind of them heavily too. Uh, yeah, not uh, just not seeing. Uh, well, but. Uh, Tongue it, it nose tackle. Yeah, Kyrus, yeah, he's an NFL guy. You have Matt Bushman, who's an NFL guy, probably, but that's that, two of 22 that you can really say, okay, that's an NFL guy. I think there's a couple offensive linemen who have a chance, but you need skill guys. Yeah, but it doesn't hurt having the offensive linemen either. I mean, you look at all the good teams Lavelle had, even his last yeah. decade coaching, and they were cranking out an NFL lineman on average every year, and which looks, means yeah. you've got another guy who's a junior, another guy who's a sophomore, so you've got three guys playing, even if they're not all at their peak. Yeah, James Empey and Brady Christensen, those are the two linemen that really look like, hey, the NFL is in the near-term future for them. So that's four guys? Right. Well... I will say that something is seriously wrong if BYU is not producing NFL offensive linemen at a fairly consistent pace. There's just no excuse for that. I mean, there's enough guys out there, and they know it. BYU coaches know it. They're available. You've got to get them. You've got to find ways to get them to your program and get and I know it's harder now with academics being what it is. I understand that. But still, you have got to get those guys. If you can't get those guys, then something is seriously wrong because there is let's just call it what it is. There's a lot of big Mormons out there. <laughs> I mean there's certainly enough three hundred pounders. I I was once told that at BYU Women's volleyball should always, always be ranked in the top 20, always, because for whatever reason, there are a plethora of young LDS gals who are really good at volleyball, and they get them. And if you look at their volleyball program for the ladies, it's been pretty good. I mean, they were in the national title game uh, a couple years back, weren't they? Correct. They made two runs in the final four in the last three years. Yeah, right. And so I feel it's the same way. And, and, and I've had prior coaches tell me this, guys who are no longer on the staff, but were on the staff for a long time. We should, and I'm just repeating what they're saying to me, what they told me, we should always have good offensive linemen in this program because there's enough kids, Latter-day Saint kids out there, who have the size, 6'3", six, 6'5", three, six, three, you know, we know what the measurables, what you need to be for offensive linemen. So we should always have them. And there's really no excuse if we don't get them. You want to talk about these other positions? Obviously, it's harder. And you can get a Warner. You can get a Van Noy. And who's the other kid who went to Cleveland? Uh, Taki Taki. Yes, Sony Taki Taki. You know, he, he came on and, and played very well and had a big-time uh, finish to his uh, senior season there, maybe a tad bit on the lighter side. And th- this uh, Chaz Ayu, I think that they have high hopes for him and uh, to get back out on the field and to be a really impact player. And it's looking like he was trending that way. And so we'll see what happens there. But offensive linemen, come on, man. You've got to have those guys for sure. Well, the draft is coming up. And it's uh, Thursday night, first round, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it'll be interesting when it's all said and done. You know, it's you can't just look at one class because that can be a little misleading. But right. we will look at one class anyway. Who are we kidding? But then also to look at, okay, let's look at the local schools and over the last three years, the last four years, which of the local schools have had the most 
players drafted? And how does that trend over time? Because we're seeing Utah State close the gap. I mean, we're seeing more and more Aggies. Are, you know, are they making it as a free agent? Are they getting drafted and sticking? Are they playing at a high level once they get to the NFL? And that, as much as we sit here and talk about the Utes and the Cougars, uh, man, when you're recruiting, you're looking at losing players on every front. And when you look at that, now, you know, the, the Aggies, you know, maybe they just don't have the narrow recruiting base. So maybe some of the guys are getting, we're never going to go to BYU. But that's a concern. The teams you play, when you play teams year in and year out, and they've got more NFL guys than you. You know, we can go look uh, when this is all said and done, PK. Let's look at how many Boise State guys are drafted. And not just in one year, but over three years, over five years, over seven years. Because the Utes, the Aggies, and the Broncos are the three teams BYU's playing every year. They don't have a conference, but those are the three teams that always show up on the schedule. Yeah, I think the Utah State makes your argument for you when you're talking about, I asked you, do you think the Cougars would get more NFL kids if they were in a conference? Well, is not that argument being made by Utah State? Yep. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5, it's 1280 The Zone. Coming up, Trevor Riley. Former Utah State and current Utah graduate assistant. Talking football, talking draft, talking about his time in the NFL, what these guys are facing with the draft coming up. We will talk with him at 9.05 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The NFL Draft is coming up. The Utes are going to have... Guaranteed slam dunk, six guys drafted, but I just don't think that's going to stop there. I think the question is they're going to have seven, eight, or nine guys drafted. Uh, I actually think seven's a slam dunk at this point. I really can't see him coming up short of that, PK. And so that comes back to, you know, how do you get the talent onto your roster? Now, we've been talking about recruiting high school kids, and basketball's a little different than football, but during the break, I'm reading a story on The Athletic. Uh, I saw something about San Diego State because Malachi Flynn, their star player, is going pro. They're losing a couple other guys. But as usual, they got a bunch of transfers coming in. And it's basketball, not football, but their coach says, much as everyone thinks the portal is about full, there'll be another one to 200 players in there if that rule goes through. And so if I'm the BYU coaches, and they're already going down this path, so this isn't like breaking news, but how much help can you get there? Because recruiting a 17-year-old guy and explaining the honor code to someone who it's foreign to and saying, can you live this for four years, that's one thing. Saying it to a grad transfer who's not going to show up on campus until... The summer, especially this year, obviously, the way things are going, and might only be at school for one semester, that's a different deal. They're all, you, you've pointed this out before. They're older. They're more mature. They can fill a specific need. You know what you're getting. It's not quite the numbers game. Football's still a numbers game, and there's always the risk of injury. But I think when you're recruiting freshmen, you're recruiting three, and you need two of them to play. Whereas when you get a grad transfer, you have a pretty good idea a guy can play. You know, and, and they really help themselves at running back 
until injuries change the season. But they really helped themselves at running back. And so as much as we can go back and look at how BYU did it in the 90s and wonder how they can get back to that, and we got people on Facebook page who are both Utes and Cougars saying they can't get back to that, okay, so don't go back in time. Go forward. Transfers are changing everything. And there could be, not only are there a lot of transfers now, there could be even more transfers if the rule change becomes official and guys don't have to sit out a year. Maybe that's a path for BYU to really help themselves. I would be selective in that, though, because I think that is something that's only a short-term fix. And is that really the way to build your program and to get the level of success that you want? Is Utah building on a form of grad transfers. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. In basketball, Utah got a kid from Long Beach State. I forget his name. He was a smaller guard, mm-hmm. right? He came in there, and he played. Yep. Well, I don't remember the kid's name, but the program's gone in the dumper since. And then you look at uh, Oregon. Oregon was going with the grad transfer at quarterback. Seemed like they did it uh, two times in a row. Yeah. Uh, got big sky kids. Yep. And lo and behold, they have a four and eight season afterward. So is that really the way you want to go? That sounds good on the surface. And be selective about it. I'm not saying don't do it because I agree with everything that you said. But I don't know that I go wild on it because then you're trying to count on that every year and once you go down that down that path it's hard to come back from and you look at Arizona basketball he's made the decision now to go after one and duns and he's got a bunch of one and duns they've had a whole slew of them meanwhile they haven't won a tournament game in three years this year and maybe they could have won one we'll never know so that's not really fair to uh, say that they didn't win one this year when they didn't get the opportunity but last year they had the opportunity and they didn't even make the tournament so be careful on going with all the one and duns which essentially grad transfers that's exactly what they are they're the other end of the one and duns that doesn't mean you don't go get them when you have specific needs. But what you hope for is that ideally you don't need those kids because you have recruited so well that you got kids that are ready to take over for the kids who graduated from your program. And so you don't need that. But that's not reality, particularly for BYU. That's not entirely reality. So, yes, they should explore that. Mark Pope, you read on the Internet here on Twitter that every kid out there is being contacted by BYU, it seems. You know, you can see that out there, and, that, and that's fine. Just don't, don't build your program based around that because once you make that commitment, then you got to keep doing it. And I'm not sure that's in the best interest of your program long term. Short term, yes, but I don't know about long term. Yeah, football will always be a little different than baseball or baseball than basketball because of that 25-85 rule. You know, you just can't bring in a bunch of one and done kids. You'll end up with 25 guys. You know, you've got to identify a position where you've got a need and then go find the person that fills that need and can be a difference maker. Whereas in basketball, they don't have that year-to-year limit on initials, so we do see Teams just going out and schools are just going after multiple transfers and, and building whole rosters out of it. So, 
Uh, and if they change this rule, then they won't all be grad transfers one and done. That's where the, the biggest change in the, in the transfer market has been the last five years. But, you know, in the next five, it could be guys who after a year or two at a school are moving on. Uh, it still gets dicey because you can only have the 25 initial scholarships in one year. So it's kind of limiting for football. You really got to identify your need the way BYU did. Okay, we need a running back. And then you go get one. You can't. You can't yeah, afford. Yeah, that's to, good. You can't afford to do it all over the field. The math just won't work. You will end up painting yourself into a corner for sure. All right, DJ and PK. When we come back, Trevor Riley, former Utah State and current Utah graduate assistant coach, talking with him about the draft, where he thinks the Utes will go, advice for them, what football like, looks like for him going forward. Everything changing so fast. We'll talk with Trevor next. <laughs> 